At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We eagerly wait with anticipation for the return of Jesus, when He will make everything wrong, right. In a way, He's always reigned over all things, but on the other hand, His saving grace has received pushback and rejection from the evil of this world. Join us in our new series, Thy Kingdom Come, His Reign in Our Lives where we'll learn what the reign of Jesus truly means for us believers and how we, as the body of Christ, can continue spreading his name until he returns. I know this is something that's happened to all of us uh, in one scenario or another, but we get, uh, you've had that experience where you have uh, been somewhere and you've gotten the diagnosis about your life, maybe your health, perhaps your car, uh, that you just didn't love, right? It it wasn't what you were hoping for, it wasn't what you were excited to hear about, and so the auto mechanic tells you the head gasket's blown and it's a whole new car, right? You just better, you know, you got to find something new or, or... you go to the doctor and you get news that's, that's really sad and discouraging and, and difficult to hear and to bear out. And, and you have to ask yourself the question, what, what am I going to do with that? Uh, no, no, I know my experience is, is probably not as difficult as some of you have had uh, in, the, in the diagnoses and the, the experiences you've had in that way. But I'll be honest with you, there is one doctor that I shudder, I absolutely shudder to even spend time with or hear from my dentist. I mean, if, I, I'm, if I'm honest, and my apologies to you, if you are a dentist, if this is your profession, um, I'm not quite sure how you can be in the kingdom of God uh, if you're a dentist, but okay, I'm wrong. On, I, I, I'm wrong on that. There can be Christian dentist. The nice thing is I just won't have to see you in heaven. Uh, that's, that's, that's my consolation there. Um, all this has not really made a problem for me. Uh, it's, it's true. So a few weeks ago, I went for my uh, once-a-decade checkup uh, with the dentist. That's how often you go, right? Is that, is that what you guys do? Um, except it wasn't a great checkup. Uh, it really wasn't. Um, I have some issues going on with my teeth. And the dentist uh, sat me down and said, we're, we're gonna, we have some hard work to do. We have some, some stuff to do. It was kind of odd because the, the, the dental hygienist was there and they were, they were like playing good cop, bad cop. And so the dental hygienist is like, oh, it'll be okay, nothing hard, it'll be easy. And then the dentist comes in and he's like, dude, you're doomed, you know? Like, and he had a little smile on his face like he's counting all the cash that he's about to get out of my mouth on this. So he sat me down, showed me the x-rays, started explaining some of the problems going on with my teeth and my gums and and he did this report, and he's just like, okay, now we're going to build a plan. Here's, here's what it's going to take for your mouth to get up to optimal health, whatever that is. I still eat, you know, that's fine. But dude, here's, here's the plan for optimal oral health. And it was, I, I did not enjoy the conversation one bit uh, at all. I will admit that. But, but he's right. And, and so, really, the issue kind of falls into my lap, okay? If, if, I'm, if I'm just putting it out there. The dentist can give me all the plans in the world. They can say, here's, here's where we need to work on. Here's the things we need to take care of. You need to floss like once. Uh, that would be good. You know, all of that stuff. But the issue is me, right? Like I, I'm the one who has to, to respond. I'm the one who has to, to deal with the diagnosis. I'm the one who actually has to follow through on, on the plan that's laid out. 
And so, so I want you to think about this morning, and I think it's a masterful thing that Jesus does, that, that he just knows our hearts so well. Uh, this, this passage is a, it's a great heart check. And I think about where the Bible says, you know, the heart of humanity, our hearts are they're just deceitful above all else, Scripture says. Who can comprehend it? Who can understand the depths and even the wickedness and the deception of our own hearts? Has anybody got like full clarity on the, the stuff of our heart? No, not a one of us. And yet, Jesus himself can say, I know it's in you. I know your hearts fully. I, I, I've got clarity on that. So, so I love how Jesus just kind of seems to be for us this, this heart doctor. Like, like he, if anybody can diagnose what's going on spiritually in our hearts, it's Jesus. And, and, and he, in this passage in Mark chapter 4, he does this heart diagnosis for everybody there. And it's, and it's worth listening to. It's worth us leaning in on uh, because he's the only one who can really assess and lay out the remedy for you and I in our broken, troubled hearts. I love how Jesus presents this issue to us. He, to give us a heart diagnosis, he, he does call out the issues, but he does so as a parable. And you might think of a parable as some sort of like sideways story that all of a sudden comes back around and like slaps you up with the head in an unexpected way with a moral of like, like, oh, I didn't see that coming. And it's something like an Aesop's fable kind of fairy tale or, or story. But, but in Greek literature, which is what the Gospel of Mark really presents itself out as. Mark was writing to a predominantly Roman, uh, Greco-Roman culture, Roman audience. Uh, in Greek literature, a parable functioned a little bit differently than just a story with a point. Uh, a parable came from, it was a mode of speech that was distinguished by its power to convince. A parable was an authoritative speech that was characteristic of a king or a ruler. So, so here in Mark chapter 4, Jesus as the king, as the king of kings and lord of lords, he's issuing an authoritative statement on the spiritual condition of our human hearts. And, and to do this, he, he pulls out an agricultural metaphor. I mean, he takes us into the realm of farming and, and to the experiences of a sower wanting to raise a crop of grain. And he gets us out in the field and he's like, let's watch this guy. Because this guy is telling us a lot about our hearts. And it's not really this guy telling us so much about our hearts. It's where, where the seed's going. It's the soil that is revealing to us the condition of our hearts. Now, this parable in Mark chapter 4, if you have your Bible, open it up to that. But this parable is probably familiar to many of you. But it's so profound because I do think that Jesus deeply speaks to the condition of our hearts. And in it, Jesus identifies four conditions of our hearts. He's like, here's, here's some of you, and here's some more of you, and here's, here's others of you, and, and here's a few others of you. And he, he really, in the way, he gets us all, okay? So... So last week I was preaching, I mentioned to somebody like, hey, you know, I'm talking about people, but maybe not so much talking about you in this situation or circumstance. In this sermon, I'm talking to everybody here, okay? Jesus is really saying like, all of you, this is your heart. Your heart lies here in one way or another in this condition. And, and the question is today, will you listen to what Jesus has to say? And not just listen to what he says about your heart, but will you receive his diagnosis? And will you look for the treatment that he has in faith and obedience? Jesus, 
he wants to care for your heart well. He wants you to be fruitful in your life spiritually, to abound in love and joy and peace and grace and goodness and all these, all these wonderful things he has for us. But if we don't clearly see our hearts, it won't happen. It won't be there. So I want to just take us through these four conditions of the heart. That's what I'm calling them. These four conditions of the heart that Jesus brings out and, and ask us, how will we respond? So you're thinking about who are you, what, what's your condition of your heart? And you're thinking about how am I going to respond to Jesus in this? The first condition that Jesus lays out is, we would say it's the worst condition, the worst heart condition here of all of them. And yet it's, it's probably the most obvious. Okay, so Jesus is there, Mark sets up the context. Jesus is teaching, right? And he's got, he's got a crowd coming to him. In the Greek, Mark says that Jesus has the biggest crowd he's ever preached to there in front of him. I mean, it's thousands upon thousands of people. And I find this so fascinating because if, if I'm preaching to the largest crowd I've ever preached to, I'm aiming for a couple things. One, clarity. I'm just going to be as precise and clear and simple as possible because I want everybody to get it. But Jesus goes, no, I'm going to parable this thing. Some people are going to get it. They're going to be like, aha, that's me. That's my heart. And other people are going to be just like, oh, he's talking about farming again. Uh, okay. Like, maybe we should go into that business. I, I don't know. But Jesus does it a little bit differently. And so this crowd is here. He gets into a boat. The crowd's so big, he gets into a boat on the side of the sea, backs away from the shore a little bit just so he can preach to everybody. And then he, and then he teaches them in parables, these, these stories with authority. And then so here's what he says in verse 3 and this first condition of the heart. He says, listen. So he's calling everybody to attention. Like, open up your ears. Pay attention to this. And then he says, behold, which is another way of saying, look. Okay, so with ears and eyes, we're perceiving, we're imagining, we're, we're thinking this through. A sower goes out to sow. If you know anything about a sower, like uh, it's a farmer who's scattering seed, they are scattering seed not just because they're goofy and like aimless and like, hey, I'm going to throw seed everywhere. Farmers are intentional because they want to make a profit, right? They are sowing seed to make a profit. They want to see grain and yield a, a high amount of grain. So most sowers are pretty diligent about where they're sowing. This sower, though, he's just broadcasting his seed everywhere. He's like, I don't care where it lands. I'm just getting it out there. I want, I want this to go everywhere. And Jesus says, as he sowed, some seed fell among the path, along the, the road, if you will, fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Oh, poor seed. Like, there's, it's not going anywhere. It's taken away. It, it, it's... Runoff, it's, it's nothing because of the enemies of the farmer, the birds. Okay, what is Jesus talking about here? Like that's, is he just talking about farming? Like don't throw seed out on the road? Not, not the case at all. Jesus is addressing our hearts. So just down a little bit further in, in verse uh, 14 and 15, he begins to explain to his disciples because they're asking the question, well, what does this mean? We want to understand. We're, just, we're not just talking about farming, but what are you talking about? Jesus is like, I'm talking about the heart. And so he says in verse 14, the sower sows the word. Th that is, the, the word of God is proclaimed. It is shared. It is taught. This is, this is the goal of preaching, if you will, or teaching the word of God. It's so that you hear it and you respond to it and it's fruitful. Again, no farmer goes out and just throws seed and says, I hope nothing grows. In the same way, no preacher, no communicator of the gospel, nobody sharing God's word or teaching in a small group or, or, or sharing, discipling someone one-on-one -on -one in life is going, you know what, I hope, this, I hope my teaching my life, my, my sharing God's word does nothing in the other person's life. Our aim is for fruitfulness. 
Like, I desire to see all of us grow and to become more and more like Jesus, to follow him with passionate lives, to live in the world for his glory and for his namesake. Like, that's, at the end of the day, that's my hope for my preaching. So, so I resonate here with this sower. He's sowing the word, and yet he's sowing it to everybody. It goes everywhere. And so some of the seed, some of the word is scattered, it's shouted out on this, on this road, on the hard ground. Where the word is sown, verse 15, and, and when they hear it, so everybody's hearing this, okay? So these people are, hard-hearted people are hearing the word, and yet Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. God's word is scattered like a seed, communicated broadly. We're calling for hope. We're calling for fruitfulness. And yet, in some hearts, the word of God comes, it lands, and that heart is so hard, nothing happens. There's no room for the seed to sink in and take root, just like a seed hitting pavement. And so the enemy of the sower, Jesus describes him as a bird, but he, he then clarifies as Satan. Satan comes along and steals the seed. The word is forgotten. It's ignored. It's rejected. It's just gone. Like it has no impact in a person's life. It's lost because the enemy has come and taken away. Now make no mistake here, okay? Even those of you who are hearing my voice as I preach God's word this morning, this could be the condition of your heart. We communicate God's word to you and it hits the ground of your heart and you're like, okay. Some of you may be even a little bit more resistant. You're like, ugh, no. This is, I'm just here because my family member made me show up here. Anyway, the word comes and you're just like, no, I don't want anything to do with it. You reject it and Satan steals it away because your heart is hard. The seed has nowhere to go in and, and take traction and root up and grow. I mean, think about the religious leaders of Jesus' day. This is indicative of their lives. They saw, okay, they're, they're standing in the room as Jesus heals a, paralytic, a paralyzed man. The guy is, has not walked in years. Everybody knows he cannot walk. Spine is snapped. Jesus speaks and says, rise, get up and walk. And he jumps up and he walks out the room. They all know this and they see it. And they're like, yeah, no, he's not anything special about Jesus. They hear Jesus' teaching with authority. And his teaching matches up and affirms and fulfills what they already know from the scriptures. Jesus isn't out of line one way in his teaching. And they hear it and they're like, who's this guy? They know Jesus' claims and his reputation to be the son of God, the king. And instead of being the first ones to, to affirm that and say yes and to fall down and to worship Jesus and to submit their lives to him and follow him and train and teach the people of God to know God in Jesus Christ, they utterly reject him through and through, even though it was obvious before them. Why'd they do that? Because their hearts were hard. They didn't want it. They didn't care. Hard-heartedness is just as common for us today, where there's no desire, no interest, no faith, no obedience, no humility towards God's word. That's where there's a hard heart. I think the reality is some of us don't want Jesus to change us. We instead would rather change Jesus. So, so we go looking for Jesus to accommodate to us. We want Jesus on our own terms. We may even affirm and say, oh yes, God's word, the Bible, it's good, it's true, but only as long as and as far as it affirms what I affirm and approves what I approve and it gets along with my way of thinking and my way of life. Wherever it deviates from that or challenges me on that, absolutely not, and we shove it away. 
when God's word challenges what we want, if our hearts are hard, we discard it instead of discarding the sin that makes our hearts hard. And so what happens? We hear the word and it's like nothing and the enemy comes and steals it away and there's no fruit. There's no fruit, there's no yield, which is the point of the word going out, the point of the, the sower sowing the seed so that there is fruitfulness. So friends, if there's, if there's no fruitfulness in your life, could it be that you have a hard heart towards the word of God? Do you have a, an arrogant posture? I know the Bible. I know what it says. I know what's going on here. I don't need anybody to teach me. Could that be your heart? Just hard? It's the first condition that Jesus talks about. Is that you? Not only that, Jesus then talks about, he diagnoses a second condition of the heart, and he calls it, I would call this one the shallow heart. Jesus, Jesus uses the, the metaphor here uh, in the soils of that of a rocky ground, like a a rocky pathway, or you know, like, there's rocks everywhere. So he, so he says in verse five, other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil. I mean, not, not, you can't get in too deep. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. So it, the, the seed gets there and it's like, oh, well, I'm here and there's a little thing and so I'm just gonna shoot up some green life. And it does. And yet, verse 6 says, when the sun rose, it was scorched. I mean, the, the heat of the day gets going down on that plant. It's scorched. And because there's no root, there's no way to draw nourishment, no way to draw life. It's just up on its own. It, it's scorched and dies off. It had no root. It withered away. Well, what's the heart condition here? What's Jesus talking about? Jesus describes the condition of this heart as someone who, again, here's the word. You, you can see this in verse 16. These are the ones on, sown on rocky ground. So there's a parallel there. The ones who, when they hear the word. So again, like they're hearing the word. Just as the hard heart is hearing the word, so the, so the rocky soil is hearing the word, which puts us all in jeopardy of being this kind of heart condition at this moment because we're all hearing the word. They hear the word and they receive it immediately with joy. So like, oh, hey, that's a good thing too. Like the word is preached. The word is proclaimed. The gospel is shared. And like, yes, I like it. It's cool. Awesome. They receive it with joy immediately. And then, verse, Jesus says in verse 17, they have no root in themselves. So just like that, that seed on that rocky soil where it just can't go deep, it can't get rooted in, it can't draw nourishment. They have no root in themselves, but, but exist for a while is literally the group. They are there for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises, on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So, so again, they hear the word, they're receptive to it, excited about it, eager about it, but there's, there's no root, there's no depth. And so when that tribulation, when that trial, and, and note here the, the particular phrase, on account of the word comes, they bail. That is while it's popular and positive and engaging and fun to follow Jesus, they're all in. As, as much as the sails are moving the boat forward, and it's just life on the beach, and every day is a Friday, and all is happy and good, great. But when the word of God runs counter to what is popular or challenges what is going on in a person's life and says no to that, and they're like, ah, when that trial and tribulation, because of the word of God comes, they walk away. When the word of God goes against the popular, the positive, the best life now kind of things, it's like, oh, that... That can't be it. And there's no fruit yielded in that life. These were, the, these were typified by the crowds in Jesus' day, right? They're, they saw it all. The miracles, the teaching, 
the food. I mean, they were there for the best parts of Jesus's ministry. I mean, think about being one of those people that was part of the, the 5,000 plus that got fed that day. You like get the miracle tuna sandwich that Jesus gives. He's just like, from heaven, the best. I love it. I want to hang out with this guy all the time because he feeds us for free and it's great. Like we just go sermon conferencing all the time and Jesus is feeding us and let's rock it out with him. And then Jesus starts saying hard things like deny yourself, take up your cross and come and follow me. And you're like, oh, is it over? Uh, wants to follow me, he must eat my flesh and drink my blood. He's, he's speaking of communion with him, life with him. And you're like, well, that's a hard saying. And all of a sudden, when it goes against the current of popularity and positivity, they're all gone. And Jesus turns around to his disciples and says, hey, everybody's left. What about you guys? Peter's like, you have the words of life. Where would we go? These are what I would call Caleb people, right? No shame on Caleb, but you know, everything has to be positive and encouraging. Caleb, right? With Christianity. There are people that just want a Christianity that's everything's up, everything's affirming, everything's positive, everything's awesome. And as soon as hardship hits because of what the scripture says, because of what God says, they're like, whoa, let's rethink this thing. Like maybe I had it wrong. Deconstruction is a popular idea right now in our culture because people are finding popularity with the word of God at odds with their own lives. Like, uh, I don't know if I can follow Jesus that way. Maybe they've got it wrong. And the scripture is clear. Let me be again honest here. This can be every one of us. I'm not immune from this. I can have a shallow heart. You can too as well. So when we want the crown of Christianity without the cross of Christ. We want the glory of heaven without the cost of discipleship. We can't consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds if we have a shallow heart because we don't see the necessity for trials to produce godly character within us. Again, it's all about the response here, right? The fruitfulness. Everybody's hearing the word. It's a matter of how are you responding to the word. And so you just don't like it because it's unpopular. It goes against culture. The world says this, and you're like, I want that. Do you have a shallow heart towards the word of God? A heart that is only into Christ for the positive and uplifting life and expects Jesus to affirm and conform to your notions of life is a shallow heart that will not yield fruit of the word of God. So again, what's your response? How's your heart? There's no fruitfulness in your life. You may have a shallow heart towards the word of God, towards Christ. So we have a hard heart, we have a shallow heart. Here's a third condition that Jesus gives. That's a distracted heart. It's the distracted heart. Friends, I think this is, this is American Christianity today, summed up. I think this is predominantly all of us. Like I, as I know you and as you know me, like this is where it hits home in my life and I think in yours, many of us. The sower's out there, right? He's sowing the seed, he's scattering it everywhere. Verse seven says, the other seed fell among thorns. Okay, so there's life going on in the soil. Stuff is growing. You know, you think it's probably good stuff, but yet it's thorns. And the thorns, Jesus says, grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Again, no fruitfulness. The thorns choke it out. So what's Jesus talking about? What, what, is, this, what is this distracted heart? Verse 18. He explains and says, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who, A, hear the word, okay. Three for three on hearing the word, right? Which is a good thing, okay? If you're hearing the word of God regularly, you're in the right place to be fruitful in Christ. 
You're, you're in the right place to grow. So if the scriptures are getting out to you through the preaching of God's word here on Sunday morning, through communication and discussion of them in your life group, through one-on-one discipleship, excellent. Don't, don't think that the remedy is like, well, I shouldn't hear the word of God. Like, no, every one of these toils, uh, these heart conditions needs to hear the word of God. It's the question of how do you respond to it? So again, they hear it, great, but, verse 19, this unholy trinity of thorniness comes up. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Oh, here, I mean, this is just, this is staggering about what Jesus says about our day today. Like, here you are, you show up and you, you hear the word of God, and you're like, yes, I'm in for it, good. But then this, this reality happens, distraction. Jesus, you know, has these three things. First of all, the, the cares of the world. That is the busyness and interests and pursuits of the stuff of this life now. You're like, well, that's really, real, that's really important. I gotta trace that down. And we get consumed and distracted uh, and focused in on the things of this life, the here and now, our, our prominence, our success, our betterment, the next election, who's gonna be president, the next world event, uh, the economy, you name it. And we're just like focusing on, this should be the main thing in our lives. And we get distracted and anxious about all these things, strikes, world affairs, our jobs, families, hobbies, all the like. And when we start focusing in on those things and, and placing them above the word of God, more, more, given more focus, we're distracted. And so the cares of this world in our lives, they choke it out. Or secondly, the conceit of cash. We as Americans have this weird sort of thing. We know Jesus says no one can serve God in money. And we're like, we'll give it a try. Like, I think it could work. We'll prove him wrong, you know? And we, we live for chasing the cash. Our, our culture, our world is bent on getting more and more and more. So we believe we can serve God in money. And we live our lives in pursuit of and in possession of and seeking to protect all the money that we can have. And that's a deceit. It's a lie. We believe that wealth will equate to life and happiness and security. And, and we, we chase getting more than what we need, more than what we can have, more and more than just the next guy over. Friends, when your life is focused on money, even if you're generous, even if you just give as much as you can away, it will still choke out the word of God having its effect in your life. Because it's more important. It's the pursuit. Or the third thing here is the cravings of the heart. So we've got the cares of the world, the conceit of cash, and the cravings of the heart. Like, that's just the desires for other things. Like, that's where our heart just says, I want this, and I'm going to pursue it and have it, and I'm not going to rest until I get it. We want what we want, and nothing's going to hinder us from getting what we want. Friends, how, how distracted are we by our appetites and our desires? How much do our desires become the focus of our lives? Desires for relationships, desires for acceptance, desires for influence, desires for pleasure, desires for power, desire for the perfect family, desire for successful kids. I mean, the list could go, desire for a great retirement. The list could go on and on and on and on. And like we make the cares, of, the cravings of the heart, the thing. And when the cravings of the heart come up, that's, what's, that's what we're chasing. All this is, is there because when Jesus is not our greatest desire and there are greater desires, deeper appetites, bigger affections, then our reception of the word of God is choked out. The word's choked out. 
we prove, we prove unfruitful. So you can come to, to church every week. You can hear every sermon. You can take copious notes on the messages. And you could walk by me on, uh, as the service is over and say, great message, pastor. And you can hit that door, and it's like, oh, well, on to the next thing. And there's no reflection. There's no, there's no consideration. There's no pursuit in your heart to say, what does God's word mean about how I live now? Where's the fruit that's born? You, you, you might have a distracted heart if you're hearing scripture, but you're not applying scripture. If, if you're approving scripture, but you're not obeying scripture. Do you have an unfruitful life? It could be a matter of a distracted heart. Okay, so these are the three diagnoses that are really hard. They're not great. And then there's one more that Jesus gives, and that's the fertile heart. The final condition that Jesus speaks about. And I want to tell you, friends, this is, this is not out of reach for you. It's not out of reach for any one of us. You can have a heart like this. Here's, what Jesus, here's how he describes it in verse 8. Other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. I mean, that's the desire of the sower. That's the, the whole purpose of why he went into that, to see fruitfulness. He scatters the seed so that grain grows, and there's, there's a bumper crop. He's profitable. So, so what's it say about our hearts? What should our hearts look like if they're going to be like this kind of soil? Good soil hearts. Verse 20. Here's the interpretation that Jesus gives. Those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who, A, hear the word. Okay, that, you see how just basic that is to Christian life? You've got to hear the word if you're going to grow in any way, if you're going to be fruitful at all. You've got to hear it. And we're all there. You, this could happen right now in your life. You can hear the word. You are hearing the word. But not only that, Jesus says, they accept the word. Now that, word, that idea of accepting it is to affirm it's true or to believe it. That is to let it get down into your heart and to say, this is right, yes, my world is about to be shaped by this truth, by this reality. It's saying to God, all your ways are true and yes and right. And, and so I affirm that. I believe that. I'm staking my life on it. So when you hear the word to be fruitful, you've got to accept it and say, yes, okay, here it is. I believe it. And then thirdly, Jesus says, and bear fruit. That is, you've got to obey it. You've got to live it out. If you are actually saying in your heart, yes, this is true, I accept it, then you, then you take the, the practical step of applying it, acting on it, doing it. It's like James says, don't be the person that looks in the mirror and goes, uh-huh, nice, and then walks away and forgets what you look like. Be the one who hears the word of God and does it. That's what Jesus says. That's how you, that's how you show good, your good soil, your, your fertile heart, your, your bearing fruit, your obeying and living out the word of God, doing what it calls for. Friends, that's where a real change happens, right? I mean, so many people think Christianity and spiritual growth is like super difficult. It takes like some genius guru level spirituality to attain it and to grow. Like, Jesus is like, none of that, okay? It's really simple. Hear the word of God. Believe the word of God. Obey the word of God. You will see incredible growth in your life. Amazing transformation by the spirit of God. You just hear it, believe it, say yes practice it. Get out following Jesus that way. That's the fertile heart that's in the kingdom of God. It's the person who's growing and becoming like Christ and seeing the advance of Jesus' reign in their life. 
this is the heart that's been forgiven and is being shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, so the four are out there. Let me just, let me wrap it up because I know lunch is coming. What about the spiritual state of your heart? I don't just tell you these to be like, let's have a biology lesson and here's these heart conditions and let's go eat, right? Like, no, no, it's, the question is, what are you doing with this? Because, because the truth matters. This is important. Jesus' reign, his kingly reign over all things is accomplished. It is worked out through our response in faith and obedience to his word. We demonstrate Jesus is the king of our lives, not just by assenting to truth, or not just being excited about it, but by actually embracing it and living it out. So if there's not fruitfulness in our lives, if there's not the fruitfulness of faith in our lives, then what Jesus is saying is you have a hard heart, you have a shallow heart, you have a distracted heart, and Jesus has been dethroned from being the king of your heart. So I wonder this morning, what is the state of your heart? Now, as I've asked myself that question this week, my first inclination is going, I'm fine. You know, I'm, I'm good. No need to, but, right? No, I'm not. I can lovingly say, neither are you. What is the evidence of fruitfulness in your life? Is there a true change and transformation? Are, are you bearing fruit for the kingdom of God, becoming more and more like Jesus? So you may say, okay, what do I do? I mean, Jesus' diagnosis is here on the table. It's a harder diagnosis than the dentist gave me. What are we going to do with it? The question comes back to you of like, how will you respond? What will you do with what Jesus has said? You may say this morning, my heart is hard, but I want a fertile heart. You may identify, I'm distracted. Yeah, there it is. My, My life is a billion places, but not on Jesus. Jesus' message to each and every one of us is so profound and yet so simple. It goes back to the, the sermon he preaches throughout this entire book, Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's the message, right? Jesus has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe his good news. And that's the good news, that you can be changed. You can grow. It's the good news that we have a Savior who came to rescue us. He, he indiscriminately scatters his word and spreads it out to all of us so that we will receive it by faith and joy. So if you have a hard heart today and you long for that fertile heart, the answer is to repent and to humble yourself to Jesus. I mean, look to, look to Jesus. He, as God, humbled himself to come and to live and to die for you. So in response to his humiliation of himself, humble yourself. Believe that he speaks a better word to you and about you than the lies that Satan preaches over you. Humble yourself and believe Jesus is the greater king, the better savior, and you can follow him. And if you have a shallow heart this morning, just just distracted, just doesn't want any pain, and yet you look for and desire a fruitful, fertile heart, You too, repent and follow Jesus. Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross on your behalf. Because he did, you can count the cost and take up the offense of the cross yourself that Jesus took up. Consider, as James says, consider it pure joy when you face trials because they are evidence of God's love and his work in your life to produce character in you. Repent and follow Jesus. And if you have a distracted heart, and yet you long for a heart of good soil, a fertile heart, a fruitful heart, 
Well, friend, repent and fix your eyes on Jesus. Repent and, as Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and come and follow me. Or as the writer of Hebrews says, lay aside every weight. Lay aside the sin. Lay aside the things that distract you, that cling so close, and run with endurance the race that's set before you, fixing your eyes on Jesus. If you have a distracted heart, see Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, the invitation is here for all of us to to respond with repentance and looking and turning and running to Jesus and he won't turn anybody away. That's fruitfulness in your heart. The more you come to Jesus, the more you run to him, the more you fix your eyes on him, that's where the fruit of faith starts growing and building. The fertile heart is there for anyone and everyone who hears Jesus' word, believes it with faith, and acts on it. So this morning, will you receive the diagnosis of Jesus? Will you, will you look to Jesus, look to your heart? And will you repent and believe the good news because the kingdom of God is at hand? Let's pray. Lord, we'll just confess this morning that this condition of our hearts, in many ways, is not healthy, it's not whole. We're, we're half-hearted people, we're divided hearts, we're, we're hard-hearted towards you. And yet, Lord, you, you, by your grace, send us your word so that we would be fruitful and responsive and faithful and obedient. So, Father, we ask this morning because of what Christ has done for us, because of his humility, his sacrifice, his endurance, we, we pray and ask, that you would help us to be faithful and respond to you well, to hear your word, to accept it, and to bear fruit for your name and your kingdom's sake. Give us soft, fertile hearts of faith to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.